Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. So, guys, we, um, we've been studying through the book of Genesis, and uh, I'm talking to Randy over the last month or so. He was, uh, he was just feeling very strongly to um, kind of move in a little bit of a different direction, and he wanted us to be able to do this, this series together. And he just kept coming back to the, the testimony of people who had different encounters with the Lord Jesus in the, in the Gospels. And how those personal encounters with Jesus, you know, radically changed um, people's lives. And so uh, we, we started talking about it and, and uh, discussing what that would look like. And so uh, for the next, you know, I don't know how long, maybe the next uh, month or two, uh, s- several months. It, it doesn't really have a time frame on it right now. But we're just going to take some time to go through different uh, testimonies and, and stories in the Gospels about people that have had encounters with Jesus. And so we're going to look at um, the disciples, the very first disciples today, and that's going to be in John chapter 1. So we're going to be in two different places today. We're going to look a little bit in John 1. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there, get that ready. And then we're also going to take a look at Luke chapter 5 today as we look at the disciples um, as they had their very first encounters with Jesus. I've titled my message, Love Changes Everything. Love changes everything. Um, I want you to think back for a minute, maybe to, if you can remember the, the first time that you were really introduced to Jesus and you, you experienced something that changed your life. You, you, you encountered the, the Jesus of the scriptures and for the very first time maybe you were aware of God's love for you, aware of who Christ is and and what he has been willing to do, what he was willing to do for you and for me. Um, and it's, it's strange how this happens in life, it happens in relationships, but you know, it's like when you come to the Lord at that very first moment and you experience this, this newfound um, love and the grace and the joy and just the, the overwhelming sense of gratitude that we have when we really embrace and understand what Christ has done for us and and that is just like you catch fire and you feel this amazing it's a very emo, it can be very emotional and it can be very it is life changing but then somewhere along the way like every relationship if we're not careful we can kind of start to lose that a little bit we can start to lose that fire and and our relationship with the Lord can become routine and we stop investing and we stop uh, appreciating, and we forget sometimes what he's done for us and how much he loves us and, and all the, the amazing things that we um, have experienced in Christ. And so just like any relationship, we, we're called to, to maintain and invest and, and continue to, to put the time and energy and effort into that relationship and to stay close to the Lord so that we don't lose that. And I know everybody here probably in some on some level, it knows exactly what I'm talking about. I know I've been through some seasons in life uh, in my spiritual journey with the Lord where I just, I was very far away from God. And I honestly just, um, I, I had forgotten who he was and what he's done for me. And I hope that maybe this series, as we start to look back at these encounters with Jesus, that it will be a, a way for us to reconnect with God. It'll be a way for us to be able to, 
to remember what that was like from when we met him the very first time. And maybe some of you in this room right here have, have never met him to begin with. Maybe, maybe you've never experienced that, that true life-changing encounter. And this is, this is God's way of giving you that opportunity for the very first time to come to know and love the, the God um, and the Lord who loves you enough that he would be willing to come and to die for you, as we've been singing about all morning long. And so what I want to do is that I just want to look at, at John chapter 1 this morning. We're going to, um, we're going to start in verse 43. And I'm just going to read a few verses here in John 1, 43, and then we're going to share some very simple things that I think are very powerful at the same time. Love changes everything. In John 1, 43, um, this is the calling of Philip and Nathaniel. So look at this uh, passage with me. It says, it says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and there he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, but, excuse me, Beth, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good from come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. Now Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now look at what Nathanael said. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? How do you know me? And Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So I'm looking at this passage, and the first thing that jumps out to me is, is just, it's a real simple truth, but it's one that we need to get settled in our heart. The first thing is that Jesus knows everything about us, and yet he loves us anyway. Think about that. Think about what Nathaniel went through right here. So, so apparently, here's the context. You know, Philip is, he sees something in Jesus that's like, wait a minute, he could be, he is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for. So Philip goes to get his friend Nathaniel to go tell him about Jesus. I need you to come meet the one that we believe he is the Messiah. So in the process, apparently Nathaniel was was tucked away somewhere, sitting underneath a fig tree. And most importantly, in his mind and his thoughts, he was all alone. He was in the privacy of his own presence, right? And you all know what I'm talking about. I mean, some, many of us, when you get that chance to finally, maybe you get away, you go for a walk, or you're in the house by yourself, or you get that opportunity to just go and be in your thoughts, and you can just go get away from everybody else in the world, and you're just all alone. There's nobody else within 
sight, within earshot of you, and you have that, there's that sense of uh, that privacy that you have. And this is where Nathaniel is. He's sitting underneath this fig tree. He's all alone. No telling what he's doing, thinking, thinking, uh, saying to himself, having a conversation uh, to himself, whatever it is that he's doing. But this is where he is. And so Philip comes and finds him. He says, I got to take you to, to meet Jesus. And he takes him to meet Jesus. And I don't think Nathaniel was expecting to hear what he said. Because as Nathaniel walks up, Jesus obviously talks to him as if he already what? He already knows who he is. And here's the question that Nathaniel asks that we got to ask ourselves today. Nathaniel stops and he says, how do you know me? And I believe that Nathaniel is talking more here, not just about, okay, how do you even know who I am? But, I mean, I can't imagine, I try to put myself in the disciples' shoes when I read through the scriptures, but, you know, I can't imagine what the piercing eyes of Jesus would have, must have been like. To look into the eyes of the Son of God, I don't know if I could have, if we really can comprehend what that was like. But I believe that in the looking into the eyes of Jesus, there was something in his piercing gaze that would have cut straight through to our what? To the, to the depth of our heart. And he would have known, wait a minute, how do you really know me? In other words, Nathaniel's saying, how do you know me like I know myself? Not like how other people may perceive me to be. And this is a reality I think everybody in this room deals with, right? Like we have our private life or we have that that ego or that self-awareness that all of us, you know, we're kind of always in conversation with ourselves. We're, we're always thinking about things, talking to ourselves. We know ourselves uh, obviously better than other people know us. And then there's the us that other people see or the other people perceive of us, okay? And sometimes there's a, there's a difference in that because there are things about ourselves that obviously we, we probably don't want everybody else to know. But here's Nathaniel, and he comes to meet Jesus, and he says, how do you really know me? And I think that all of us at some point, gotta ask, we have to ask that very same question. Is it, Lord, how do you really know me? Not the me that everybody else knows, but the real me, the, the true me, the, the private me. How could you possibly know me, understand me? How could you really see me for who I truly am? That's what Nathaniel's asking here today, and that's what we have to ask ourselves today. Do we really understand and believe that God, that the Lord Jesus Christ, that he really knows us? He really and truly knows us. Everything about us. Everything about us. There's a word that we use when we talk about this. It's a word, intimacy. Intimacy. I find it interesting, there's a, there's a little, uh, I don't know, you don't, don't really call it an acronym, but there's a way to, to define the word intimacy that's contained in the word itself, and this is the way it goes. It has been said that the word intimacy can be defined as into me see. Intimacy, into me see. Or maybe you put it this way, to see into me. That is what intimacy truly is. It's the need to know other people, to see them into them, but more than anything else, it's for us to truly be known, for other people to see into us, not as, they, as we appear to be or not as they even maybe perceive us to be, but to truly see us deep within us, to see deep in our 
hardened to our soul. And that is the deepest level of connection and relationship is to have true intimacy because you can see people for who they truly are. It's almost impossible for anybody else to know us better than we know ourselves. Now, there are occasions in parent-child relationships, husband and wife relationships, where we, we can really know another person. I mean, really know them. But even those relationships are, are, are limited in some extent because there's always going to be something in us that is different from the way that other people see us. That we're, we really know ourselves better than anybody else does. And nobody really has access to all of our secret thoughts or our insecurities or maybe there's our fears and our flaws or our weaknesses, our private dreams or aspirations or even embarrassing facts that, that we would like to hide away and, and keep them you know, hidden from everybody else. And yet here's what I want to share with you today. And this, this is what just really starts to get to me. Is that when we encounter Jesus, like Nathaniel did that day, we're encountering someone who truly knows us better than we've let, than we can even know ourselves. Now, how is that possible? How is that possible? How could somebody else know us better, even better than we know ourselves? Well, it's because, number one, Jesus, as creator God, he, he made us, right? Like he created us. He gave us life. The Bible says that nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. So we start thinking about the, the attributes of God, which Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh, and he has certain attributes. One of them is omnipresence. Does anybody know what omnipresence means? It means that God is what? Everywhere at all there's not a place on this planet that we can go where God is not there, that he does not see. The other thing that God is is that he's omniscient. Does anybody know what that means? It means he knows everything. He knows not just what we're thinking. He knows the motivations of our heart. He knows every word that's come out of our mouth. He knows every deed that we've ever done. Okay? He knows our attitudes, our actions. God knows everything real and possible. And this is what it means for him to be omniscient, is that he knows everything. You know what I think one of the biggest struggles that most people have, there's a barrier I think a lot of people have to believing that God really loves them, is that this is the barrier. Is that there's a lot of people out there and they say, you know what, it's very difficult for me to believe that God can know everything there is to know about me, the good, bad, and the ugly, everything. And yet, he still what? He still loves me. That's a very difficult concept for people to understand. And the reason that that's a difficult concept for us to understand is because we know deep down, we do. We, we do know how deeply flawed that we are. We know how messed up we are. And when, we, when we're vulnerable to the point to where we would think anybody else could really see us for who we truly are, we struggle with believing that anybody could really what? Love us in spite of all of that. We know our fears. We know our failures. We know our guilt and our shame. And listen, to be honest, and I'll, I'll just speak to myself, and maybe you can identify with this. There are many times in my life that I do not like myself. 
There's been many, many times in my life when I'm like, I hate myself. I'm, I, I say that. I know, I know what y'all are thinking. I mean, we shouldn't necessarily hate ourselves, but you, do y'all identify with what I'm saying? Sometimes, like, I can't believe that I, that I did that or I said that or I failed to do that or whatever it may be. Like, I, I can't stand myself right now. So even, even we struggle with liking our own selves knowing who we really are deep, deep down. And yet, how could a perfect and holy God possibly still love us knowing everything there is to know about us? And here's the answer. It's not, it's not really a difficult answer, but it's still one that we need to work through. It all comes down to God's definition of love. See, God's definition of love and man's definition of love are two totally different things. No matter how hard we try, whether it's our, our spouse or our children or our best friend or whatever it may be, we try to love other people unconditionally. We do. But do we always love people unconditionally? We don't. We try to love people perfectly, but do we always love people perfectly? No, we don't. See, here's man's definition of love. See, man always puts conditions on love. Man's love, ultimately, is a performance-based love. It's, it's, it's a, a love that has to be earned, but it can e just as easily be lost based on our ability to be good enough. That's where we, that's a worldly type of love, that's a, that's a man centered type of love is that whether we try to or not, no matter how hard we try to love like God loves, we ultimately fall short because in the end, we put conditions on our love for each other. We do. We shouldn't, but we do. And so what happens with man-centered love or conditional love or performance-based love, this is what happens, guys, is that in the end, if we're in a relationship where we feel like we have to be good enough in order for somebody to what? To love us, then what happens is, in the end, we feel like we could never be good enough. And so what happens? We just want to throw our hands up in the air and what? Just give up. If I can never be good enough for you to love me, then what's the point? Why am I even trying anymore? And so many times we just want to give up and we want to stop trying altogether. But then what happens is because we can oftentimes base our identity or our, our worthiness on what other people think about us or how other people love us is that then we can start believing this lie. And that lie is this, that maybe I'm just not deserving of love. Maybe nobody could really, truly love me. And I think there's a lot of people going through life, walking through life each and every day, and they're, they're believing those two lies right now. Maybe, maybe I don't deserve to be loved. I'm not good enough. I never can be. Maybe I'm just not worthy of love. Maybe it just wasn't meant for me to be loved. But see, God's love is different. And, and this is where God's really trying to, to, to help me understand, to teach me this. I've been, I've been a Christian now for, uh, let's see, um, I was like 18 years old, 17 years old when I gave my life to the Lord, when I truly believe I was, I was saved. I'm 44. Do the math. What's the math? 27 years? 27 years with the Lord. 
just now getting it. See, God's love is, is not performance-based. God's love is not conditional love. God's love is unconditional. It's perfect love. So here's the way God loves us. It's like God loves us in spite of our sin. God loves us in spite of our failures and our dysfunction and our flaws and our ugliness and our biggest mistakes. And that's what makes God's love so much different is that even though he knows everything about us, he still chooses to love us. You see, God's love is a love that it transcends our performance. It transcends what we do, okay? I'm thankful for that because God's love is more committed to us as a person. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. Let me say that again. If you're in here today and you're struggling with God's love and you think, I can never be good enough. Such and such doesn't love me. I'm trying to earn their love. I fail every time. Don't think about God's love that way. Because God's love has nothing to do with what you can do for him. It has everything to do with who you are as a person. You are created in the image of God. He loves us not because what we've done for him, but because of simply who we are to him. So God's love says, I love you no matter what. I love you in spite of it all. I choose to love you. And listen, this is what's amazing to me about God's love. He says, I choose to love you even if you don't love me back. Think about that for a second. Because that's part of man's conditional love. See, sometimes we're only willing to be vulnerable and love somebody only if they're willing to what? Reciprocate that and love us back. God's not like that. He takes a tremendous risk. He's saying, I'm going to love you. I choose to love you knowing everything there is to know about you. None of that stuff's going to scare me away. I choose to love you anyway, even if you don't love me back. That's not going to change the way I feel about you. So God's love is this perfect love. It's love that casts out all fear. It's love that removes all sense of condemnation. And here's the thing, and this this is where I think it's it's important for us to be, be clear about the way we communicate. God's love really does allow us to understand that he accepts us. Now stay with me. He accepts us as we are. Remember the old hymn that was played after almost every church service? Just as I am, right? What did we just sing? Come as you, come as you are. Now stay with me. And this is going to lead us to our next point. Is that yes, God loves us and he does accept us just as we are. But that's not the end of his love. That's just the what? It's just the beginning. Because here's the second thing I want to share with you. Is that yes, God loves us just as we are. But he loves us too much to leave us there. Let me say that again. So I want to make sure we understand. We're talking about God-like, unconditional, no strings attached love today. Here comes Nathaniel. How do you really know me? Nathaniel, I saw you. In the privacy of your own thoughts, I know everything there is to know about you. Nathaniel was blown away. Think about Nathaniel's uh, response. You are the son of God. If you know me that much and you still want me to come and have a relationship with you, you must really what? You must really love me. There's no telling what he was thinking underneath the fig tree. We don't know. 
But see, when Jesus comes to us and he says, I love you no matter what, I accept you just as you are, but here's the thing, but I love you too much to leave you there. Okay? Because, guys, God, at the end of the day, God has so much greater plans. He has so much of a bigger vision. He has so much of a greater destiny and future for you and for me that we could ever create for ourselves, that we could ever imagine for ourselves. And so the second thing today, as I've already shared, is that Jesus loves us too much to leave us where we are. Now, I want you to flip over to Luke chapter 5 real quick, and I want to show you another instance where the disciples have an encounter with Jesus. Luke 5, verse 7. says, so, so the context is Jesus is calling his disciples, Simon and his brother, been fishing, and um, Jesus comes to them, and he says, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, because Jesus had told them to go back out and cast their nets again, and, and obviously they, they began to catch this huge, um, this huge mess of fish, and it says, they came and, and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, listen to what he said, depart from me, for I am a what? I'm a sinful man. Oh, Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished as the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And look at what Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. So the second thing is that we see here in, in Luke chapter 5 is that here we have Peter, just like Nathaniel, who was just astonished. He was just undone with this idea that, wait a minute, you still want to have a relationship with me even though you know everything about me? Jesus is like, yes, I do. Because I what? Because I love you. Because I love you. And here we have Peter in a very similar situation. He encounters Jesus, and what he realizes real quickly is that, yeah, I'm in the presence of somebody who's more than just a mere man. Again, the Son of God. Remember, as Nathaniel said, you are the Son of God. Here we have Peter, and I think for the very first time he realizes, wait a minute, this guy's no mere man. This is the Son of God. This is God with us. And in that moment when Peter realized that he was in the presence of Almighty God in the flesh, what was his response? Lord, I need you to get, a, get away from me because I'm what kind of a man? Now, did that stop Jesus from coming to Peter and loving him and bringing him into a relationship? No, nope. didn't stop Jesus at all. Jesus knows Peter is a sinful man, just like you and me. But what did it do to Peter? It was the moment that Peter had to realize and recognize, wait a minute, he still loves me. He's still initiating a relationship with me. He still wants me to be with him. And yet I'm realizing for the very first time just how sinful I really am. Because, guys, that's what happens. That when we come to Jesus just as we are and we believe that he really accepts us just as we are. And once we get close to him, guess what happens? We start to see ourselves for just as we are. You see, the, the closer that we get to the Lord, the more we see ourselves for who we truly are. And guess what? He doesn't have to say a word. You know how easy it is for us to point out other people's flaws and criticize them? Well, you do this, and you don't do that, and 
What about this? Jesus doesn't have to say a word. All we have to do is just come into his presence. We, we are close to the Son of God, the most pure, perfect, righteous, good being in the whole universe. And just simply by being around him, it exposes us for who we really are. That's what happened to Peter here. And so it's amazing to me that, yes, God loves us. He knows everything about us, but he chooses to love us anyway. But, guys, here's the reality, is that when we start spending time with him, when we start entering into a relationship with Jesus, he's going to begin to do something in our life. He's going to start to change us. He wants to change us. He has too many good things for us. He's like, come to me just as you are. I accept you. I love you. Come on. And then once we come and once we enter into that relationship, then something happens to us where we really will begin to change. That's an amazing thing that God does for me and for you. And so Peter, he didn't want to face that, that sinfulness. He, he, was, he was like, Lord, get away from me. Depart from me. I don't want to have to deal with the reality of who I really am in spite of you right now. But did Jesus leave him? Nope. See, Peter tried to push him what? Anybody here trying to push the Lord away? God, I just I don't want to I, I don't want to think about you right now. I don't I don't want to be around you right now. I, it's too much pain for me to think about who you are, and I just I just it's just easier for me to push you away right now. How hard that we can try to push God away? Is that ever going to make Him quit loving us? Never. He'll never stop. He'll never stop seeking us. He'll never stop initiating and desiring and and pursuing us in that relationship. And so when we encounter Jesus, we, we don't have a choice but to, but to really see ourselves as we truly are. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 3. He says, this is the verdict, that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever practices the truth comes into the light so that it clearly seen that what he has done has been accomplished in God. So, yes, Jesus knows everything about us. Jesus loves us anyway. But then, and he accepts us, okay, just as we are, even in our sinful condition, okay? Our sin's not going to push him away. He accepts us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. The Bible says that we are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2. He wants to transform us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, that picture of God's workmanship is that we are like a work of art in God's hands. And yes, we're beautiful and he takes us just as we are, but he has a plan for us to create us into something so much more beautiful. So much more amazing and, and inspiring and significant than what we could have ever done for ourselves. So here's what happens is that when we come to him and we believe that he accepts us as we are and we know he loves us and he wants what's best for us is that we experience something that is amazing. It's his life transforming love. And nothing can separate us from his love. So here's the thing that I want to just challenge you with, is that once we believe and we understand that nothing can push him away, nothing can separate him from, nothing can separate us from his love, something profound happens in our life. 
is that we want to change. We begin to want to change. We want to do better. We want to be more obedient. We want to please Him. We want to honor Him. We want to serve Him. Listen, and here's the key. Not because we have to, but because we what? Because we want to. Let me share something with you, something that I learned this week, and I, I want to try to... I'm going to try to read it to you. I'm going to try to convey it to you the best that I can because this is profound. And I hope that this will help you in your relationship with the Lord. You ready? So this is, this is actually coming from, from a, psycho, a, a psychology perspective when talking about people in relationships from a psychological perspective, okay? So here's the statement. When I accept myself as I am, I change. When I accept others as they are, they change. All right? I want you to think about this for a second. So when I accept myself as I am, I change. And when I can accept others as they are, they will what? They will change. Let me just break it down to you. So if we feel like we have to change to make somebody else happy or to earn their approval or to merit their love, here's what's going to happen. We're going to either reject that change or we're going to resent that change. So it's not going to last. It's either not going to happen or it's not going to what? Last. So if you feel like you have to change your life in some way to earn someone else's approval or love, guess what? You're not going to change. Many times you're going to go in the what? Opposite direction. This is a truth in life. But when we know that we are loved and accepted as we are right now, even if the things that we may be doing are not great or if, if people don't agree with the thing the choices that we're making whatever it may be okay that's not the point all right none of us are what perfect we get that so but if we know that we're loved and accepted just as we are right now and we know that we are respected loved and liked anyway guess what will happen we will always want to do what we want to change we will want to be a better person because we're not feeling, the again, the pressure of the performance being put upon us, thinking, wait a minute, if I have to do X, Y, and Z for this person to love and accept me, then I'll never be good enough. But if I know that this person loves and accepts me just as I am, I now will have the motivation to want to be a better what? A better person. And that is the basis of, of the relationship that we have with the Lord, because we don't have to change to be loved. We choose to change because we are what? Because we are loved. And I think some of you in the room today may be struggling with this. Is that you've come, you've come to the Lord or you've come to your relationship with Christ and you think, Lord, if I can just be good enough, you're going to love me more. If I can just read my Bible more. If I could just go to church more, give more money or, or serve or you know, stop cussing or whatever it may be. Now, look, does God want us to, to continue to grow and, and do better? Absolutely. But understand the difference is that you're, you're seeking change not to earn God's love and favor, but you're, you want to change because he already what? He already loves you anyway. That's the greatest truth I believe that many of us could ever discover in our relationship with the Lord is that if we accept ourselves as we are, we will want to change. And that's exactly how God loves us. That's the way he loved the disciples. And guess what they did? They wanted to change. 
He didn't have to tell them. They got that on their own. And so, guys, the last thing that I'm going to share with you is, is very, very simple, and, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but, but once we accept that and we embrace the love of God and we want to live our lives, we want to change our lives for him, he doesn't just change one part of our life. He changes what? He changes all of it. He wants to change all of it. So that's what he means by being, by when he told the, he told the disciples, listen, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I want you to think about what he's saying. Remember, James and John and Peter and Andrew, these were fishermen by trade. That was their livelihood. That was, that was probably the most important thing in their life, okay? They, they were fishermen to support their families. It was their family business. It, their whole world revolved around fishing. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a greater mission. Now, here's something we forget. They didn't stop fishing altogether. They still were fishing. Matter of fact, by the time Jesus was resurrected from the dead, they're, they're out what? They're still out fishing. So they didn't necessarily stop fishing. But what Jesus said, he said, I'm going to give you a, an entirely more significant purpose in your life because I don't want to just change part of your life. I want to change everything about your life. Your purpose, your identity, your priorities, your values, your desires, your beliefs, your hopes, your destiny, everything. God is saying, do you trust me with your life? Because I'm willing to change it completely. And so, guys, here's, here's what I want to leave you with. If we're to be fishers of men, if we're to be catching men in our life, okay, it starts in our homes, in our workplaces, in our friendships, relationships, so, so to be a good fisherman, Mr. Jim Cole is a great fisherman. Mr. Jim, what do you have to have to catch a fish? You've got to have good what? You've got to have some bait, don't you? Right? What's our bait? If we're going to be catching people, what's going to allure them? It's going to be the same thing that, led, that allured us to Christ. It's his love, isn't it? Are we going to guilt people into coming to Jesus? Are we going to shame them? Are we going to beat them over the head? Are we going to condemn them? Are we going to embarrass them? Are we, you know, there's so many different ways. I've done this in my life. Are we going to argue them to Jesus? That's, that was my biggest, that's one of my biggest struggles in life. I thought I could argue somebody to Jesus. Win an argument and they're going to come to Jesus. How many times does that work? We have a bait if we're going to catch people. And it's a very, very simple thing. It's the love of Jesus Christ. That when we're around other people, no matter who they are, what they've done, what they're doing, if they genuinely believe that we what? That we love them, we're going to draw them to ourselves and we're going to draw them to who? To Jesus. It's been said this way, and I'll leave it at this. Nobody cares how much you know until they first know how much you, how much you care. Let me say that again. Nobody cares how much you know until they first know how much you really what. Guys, that's how we're going to win the world for Jesus. That's how we catch men. And I think that everybody, every single person in this room, if you're, if you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus, you are now a fisherman of men. Your life, your job that you go to every day is more than just your job. There's people there. There's fish. What should you be doing? 
try to catch them. When you go to school students, there's fish there. When we go to our family and our neighbors and people that we interact with on a daily basis, there's fish, there's people all around us. And God is saying, that's your job, that's your mission. I'm going to give you a greater purpose in life. And the same love that transformed you, I accepted you, I loved you, even though I knew everything about you. And I was willing to, to bring you to myself anyway, in spite of all of that unconditional, no strings attached. So how are we going to bring people to Jesus Christ? In the very same way. No conditions, no manipulation, no strings attached, no performance. We should never be going to people and saying, hey, listen, if you can come and be a good church member and do this and do that and do that, and then maybe, then maybe God will love you. That's not the way it works. No, we come to them first and say, What's the first thing we tell them? God loves you, period. If we're going to be witnesses in this world, that's the first thing that we can say to them with all honesty, with all assurance, all confidence. God loves you, period. Don't, no conditions, okay? He wants to have a relationship with you. Do you believe that? Let me, see, let me show you what that's all about. Now, here's the problem, is that we tell people that God loves them, and yet we don't love them, we're sending mixed what? Mixed messages, and they're saying, wait a minute, you're telling me God loves me, and you're supposed to be one of his children, you're supposed to be here representing God, but you don't love me, then I'm not so sure I believe that your God loves me. And that's where our role comes in. We send the message that God loves other people, but then we have to what? We've got to love other people. And our walk has to match our talk. And that's how we become fishers of men. I look back on my life and I said, I think about how many times I've missed that. I'm trying to do better. So we can't expect people to change before making sure they know how much they are loved. That's how we become fishers of men. I'm going to ask our praise team to come on back up. and I just want to encourage you today. I, some of you in here, you may be still struggling with this conditional idea of love. And because we, we often put conditions on each other and we don't love each other the way God loves us, sometimes we have our love with God with the things that we experience with each other. Guys, I hope that you can be set free from that today. Some of you today, you just need to be set free and you need to be able to come to Jesus and allow his love just to set you free, okay? Set you free from shame. Set you free from condemnation. Let the love of God really penetrate your heart, really overwhelm you. And believe that he loves you in spite of everything, even though he knows everything about you. He loves you. Settle that in your heart today. And if you can settle that in your heart today, everything else will take care of itself. It will. Then you can walk in freedom and be like, wait a minute, God, I want to live for you now. I want to be obedient to you. I don't want to hurt and disappoint you anymore because I know how much you love me now. It's, it's settled in my heart. What a blessing. And so I want to pray with you guys, and I, we're going to sing one more song before we go. And I just want you guys to, to really think about what I've shared with you today. And I pray that it will continue to change your heart and your life and your relationship with God. And most of all, your relationship with other people as we go be fishers of men. Will you bow with me? Dear Lord, I, I just want to 
lift up our people to you today, Lord. Everybody here, I know we, we sometimes struggle with believing that you could really love us like you do. Sometimes we still are, are trying to earn your love or trying to earn your approval, Lord. And I just pray that we'd be set free from that today. I pray, God, that your love working in us because of knowing that we're accepted by you, Lord, that that would be what really begins to change our hearts and that we can be set free from guilt and shame and condemnation, Lord, that oftentimes pushes us further away from you. And Lord, as we go out into our world today, there's so many people out there who just, they need to know how much you love them. They need to know there is still a God who loves them, even though you know everything about them like Nathaniel, like us. Lord, they need to know that you have chosen to demonstrate your love toward them in that while they were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Lord Jesus, you you died for us. And so, Lord, I pray today that whoever's here today that just needs to be reminded of that, Lord, they would get that settled in their heart and that we'd be free as we walk out of this place. Lord, set us free in Jesus' name.